All right, good morning, kids. Yeah, it's your dad, of course. Just, I'm driving around our small city, delivering um, cases to people. I'm, I'm trying to clean out my office, make it more productive when things are organized. How about that? And so the other night I was up till midnight at the office, just throwing stuff out, collecting files, opening files, you know, there's scattered paper everywhere, so I wanna make sure everything's organized. And so there's a lot of clients in our town that I don't need to do anything on their case for a few years. And so I'm um, driving them around town. Then I'm gonna go to FedEx and, or is it Kinko's now? I'm gonna, I'm gonna FedEx some other files and binders and stuff. It's amazing how much paperwork there is in the area of law that I do. And you know, when I started private practice, I thought, you know, I'm gonna go, I have to stop saying you know. I have to stop. I want to, excuse me, strike that. Not use as much paper. And we can I be as green as possible. That's even a phrase. I'll scan stuff, then I'll recycle it. And, and it turns out scanning stuff and looking at a screen all day just isn't great for my eyes. I don't like it. And I got glasses to reduce anything. Blue light, there's something called blue light that comes from the LCD monitors. I like one of the glasses, actually. I, I don't have a headache at the end of the day because I am reading a lot, like specialized reading glasses. But but I looked at my office and I, I think it needs to be, everything needs to be pared down. I need to just have cases that I'm working on right now, you know, or within the next six, seven months. So I'm just driving around town, dropping envelopes off. I email the client saying, hey, I'm still your lawyer, but you, you guys keep this stuff. I'm not doing that you guys store it somewhere. So I have a small office. You know, I could have had a larger office, but you know, saying again, I pay $450 a month in rent and my friends with like the bigger offices, they spend more than twice that. And I just didn't see a purpose. It's to me, it's vanity to have a larger office if you don't need one. You know, I would like the larger office, <laughs> but you know, Ugh. maybe if you're older and like, you don't have alcohol problems, every time I say, you know, you should take a shot and we'll, you will be completely gone by the time I finish this episode. So where are we? Do I make a right? I'll make a right here. Okay. Really wide streets. This town. Town has two parts, and there's one that's separated by a bridge, which, and it's a peninsula, but it's called an island, which for the life of me just aggravates me to no end. To no end. Well, I'm driving by a house I actually consulted on when I was doing criminal. The guy was charged with something, and I and I offer I gave him a quote, and he did not like my quote. And I did not like his attitude. So I, I tend to quote people a lot more, a lot more, if um, I don't like them. I don't want to, I call the a-hole tax. If you're gonna be a jerk, you're gonna pay me a lot more money to deal with you as a jerk. I would have gotten his case dismissed too. I knew how to do it. It wasn't 
Anyways, I'm, I gotta put you on pause in case a client actually talks to me. You can't hear that. There are rules. All right, we're back. That took way too long. Turns out, I literally parked right in front of the house. It's, this is like a weird condo complex. So the street is one name, but the condo complex has its own street numbers or its own building names and numbers. So I walked all the way around only to realize I parked in the absolute perfect spot. It's like a 10 minute walk. I guess I could use the exercise. So I look more like an errand boy than anything else. My courier has car problems, so he can't make it today. It's always stressful when you have car problems. I can't tell you how many times my uh, El Camino broke down growing up. My dad got me an El Camino. Maybe I haven't told you guys that story. So, growing up, my dad had an El Camino. It was a 76. It was this blue Chevy El Camino. And he... Oh, it's a four-way stop. I'm gonna go. When he was much younger, he had a, a very nice El Camino that he had to sell in order to pay some bills. New, new parents tend to have to do that. So... He always liked them, so he got another one. He got a, it's this, a kind of an ugly blue 1976 El Camino. And then one day he saw another, uh, he saw like a tan 1977 El Camino. When I was 15, he bought it, 14 or 15. And he said, you know, let's make this a, he always said, you know, we want to build a hot rod together. Like, you know, build up a car and, you know, I can learn about cars and, you guys know enough about me to know that's a hilarious concept. My father was a very, very typical man's man. Loved working on cars. I mean, sometimes he didn't, but he enjoyed it. Sometimes he liked building things. He built, built our deck growing up. He, he was a renaissance man. Actually, most men in that in that uh, generation, the call of the baby boomer generation, most men were like that. They were self-starters. They knew how to change oil. They knew how to build stuff. They, they, because um, they had no choice. You had to learn how to do it. So, anyways, I digress. So one day he decides to buy a this tan, ugly tan, '77 Chevy El Camino. For like five hundred dollars, and the steering column was completely off. It kind of ran. The uh, what else was it? Uh, the it, my my dad's reasoning in buying that was he wanted to put me in a car that was just reinforced steel, and he was right. That thing was steel, like thick steel through and through. If I got hit by a, a, a big rig truck, I was gonna survive. But I drive it to school and back, and school is barely a mile if that, maybe even less. But it would break down all the time. And then, it's like when I, when I started driving, I was 16, that was my car to drive. And I was responsible for paying the insurance. I think I had to pay $75 a month 
because that's how much their insurance increased with me being there. Why do I have that background? When I graduated high school, I think the money I got for graduating high school was like seven hundred and fifty-eight dollars. That was the amount, and my dad took five hundred of it. <laughs> he, no, he didn't say. He just say, "Give me five hundred of it. We're getting you a car." And I was like, "Well, I already, I already have one. I have an El Camino." He's like, "No, even better. I'm going to get you another El Camino." <laughs> so he bought another El Camino, a 1984 El Camino. And the reason we got this was because the security guard at his work, he worked at the Oakland Docks Union, so I don't think he wasn't. The security guard that would let people in and out of the of the uh, area was talking to him. And my dad was a very personable man. He talked to everybody. And he got to know everybody. And you'd walk around with him or you'd drive around. And even the weirdest places, he'd stop by and be like, Hey, George, how you doing? It was funny. I mean, it was... Looking back on it now, it's a testament to his character. But the security guard said, oh, my, I blew my engine, you know, which is the, the term for, like, he threw a rod. There are pistons in your engine that move everything, and that's the limit of what I know about mechanics. And he thinks that they, it just exploded. And my dad said, hey, I'll buy it from you for $500. He's, my, my dad thought, oh, he's just getting the frame. That's all he's getting. And the guy didn't even open up his trunk. There was, like, uh, obviously an indentation inside the... that looked like something exploded inside the um, engine. And when my dad finally... They towed it to our house. My dad opened it. Opened the trunk. The... the, the, um, the uh, how am I not remembering the name of that? Really? That gone? I forgot that word. When they popped the hood, excuse me, my dad found a, a cat carcass. Evidently, a cat was sleeping inside the engine, in the engine area, and when the guy started the car, the cat was destroyed along with the, the fan and the, some of the fan belts and the fan which cooled the car and the radiator that just completely just was destroyed but that's not the engine and that's a pretty pretty inexpensive fix too and so my dad went to the guy and he said hey forget the guy's name but I've run into him once in a while he said hey here's what actually happened it didn't explode I feel bad taking your El Camino I feel bad you know here's 500 dollars back I'll help you fix it my dad said I'm gonna help you fix it that's the kind of man he was here's the money back now I'm going to help you. That's that's beyond integrity. It's just a good human being. And he brought that man to the Lord too. Oh, just I guess it's I wouldn't want to put that as a footnote. He brought that man to the Lord, and he came to our church, and he's just a great, really sweet old man. This old man told my dad, "We shook on it. We had an agreement. That's your car now." It's like don't don't. It's like don't. What did he say? But he, but that's what the man said. He's like, uh, we had an agreement. That's it. And I'm sure the man loved this El Camino because once in a while, if we drove it to church, he would like look at it and 
time. Anyway, so that's the story of me owning two El Caminos. My dad had, so we had, for a period of time, we had a 76, a 77, and an 84 El Camino parked near our house. Eventually, we sold that 77 El Camino to my uncle, my dad's brother, and we sold it to him for the same amount we bought it for because my grandpa on my father's side, my, my dad's dad, he actually gave us some money to fix it up a little bit, to get it street ready, which was really sweet of him, you know. We didn't, uh, I wasn't really close to them, but they were, they were sweet people. They had, they had a tragic background, which I'll get into eventually. But... So that's the story of the El Caminos and why one day I might get one. Right now I'm driving a truck, a gold truck, gold colored at least, Nissan Titan. I'm sure you guys will remember this. Hopefully I keep this a long time. Um, Oh well, I'm uh, going to sign off for a little bit. We're going to get into Judges. Judges is almost wrapped up. I don't think it's many more chapters. It's an interesting time in, in, in the history of Israel where God doesn't ordain a king, but he allows a religious leader to rise up and kick butt and bring Israel back to God. Eventually we're going to start talking about kings in the in, of Israel. And the, the mindset of even demanding a king was flawed. They, I mean, they just wanted a king and God I just said, okay, you'll have a king, but I'm what's important. So, I'm driving by our favorite breakfast place. The place is so good. Best salmon omelets ever. Just, it's like they have this dill cream sauce that your mom just loves. And the entrepreneur loves the potatoes they make there. I, I would buy those potatoes in bulk because all you kids love it. We gotta go back there. You know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell your mom we're going to that place on uh, tomorrow morning because it's Friday. I would love to have that. I'm craving it. What am I going to do? Okay. Signing off. My sign back on. We are talking Judges 14, I think, through. No. Is it 14? Which one is it? It's, uh, Judges 17 through probably 20 is what we'll read. All right. See you soon. Okay, I'm back. That was, it took a couple days. I think I recorded the last one. Let's see, it's Sunday morning right now at 5.30 in the morning. I think I recorded the last one. Um, when did I record it? Let me see. Uh, it won't let me see because I had to turn the thing off then. Uh, so I'm in my office. I couldn't sleep last night or this morning. And as soon as I stepped into my office, I just got exhausted. So I... Sad. If I was home, I think I'd be able to just go back to sleep. But I'm here, and uh, let's do it. <clears throat> we'll get some coffee. We're gonna finish judges today. Uh, such a peaceful office at 5:30 in the morning. Oh, I'm tired.
Today's February 13th. Today we will be very adamant about you kids finishing your Valentine's Day cards. I think, I think the entrepreneur finished hers weeks ago. I want to say, I think all it really has to do them is the um, spy. And you're in kindergarten. So you just have to write your name on 12 more. So let's hope. It's funny. It's not funny, but when your mom picked you up on Friday, you were so sad because you found a shiny rock in your aftercare class. And you wanted to make it fair. You don't want to just give it to your two girlfriends that you're really close with. So you had everybody, I don't know, I think you did eeny, weeny, miny, mo. And then someone else got it, and those two girls were, like, so mad at you. And your mom says that you came crying in the after school. Like, and you said you lost your friends. It was so sad. Oh, my God. So sad. <sighs> yeah. So we're reading about Micah today. and I think we're reading all the way up to Samuel's birth. Just skip around and see. Yeah. I'm achy. I had one of my attacks last night, so I'm a little achy right now. I aspirated a little bit of stomach acid. Probably diet related. So, I'll finish these chapters. I'll post them and I'll walk home. Maybe get some Starbucks. Probably not Starbucks. Your mom hates the smell of coffee. I'm still brewing it though. We had kind of a weird day yesterday. We went to a kind of a wedding shower um, for your mom's work. And then we uh, pick you kids up actually in our hometown, the park that I grew up going to, which is across the street from my house. And it was just such a weird timing. We got home and it's like four ish or five. And we weren't hungry, and your kids kind of were. You want to go to Olive Garden, and you voted, but some of you were, like, ambivalent. So we're like, nope, we're going home because we are falling asleep. And, and the king, he wanted sushi. So we got him sushi. And, uh... We didn't really eat that much. And then we had a family meeting. And, anyways, you kids ended up going to bed early because people weren't listening and, and it's it's hard because the namesake has been lately has been kicking butt being very obedient it's yesterday morning your mom and I split up chores like rooms for you guys to clean like to dust wipe down put stuff back or you know pick stuff up and then steam mop it and the only one that did it was the namesake and he didn't say hey i did it but he's like okay i'm done what else which was a great attitude and so we rewarded him we let him watch a movie last night the movie was called free guy which i'm sure you know it's a movie about a non-player character in this online video game which is funny which is a little inappropriate humor some coarse language, but I still think it's PG. 
guys. And so I, I've been getting more and more questions about, you know, why are we favoring him? Well, we're really not. Anyway, we are, we're going to punish you for disobedience and we're going to reward obedience. And, you know, sometimes we're, you're not going to get punished for disobedience. It's, it's a lot like God. I, I'm very disobedient to God. But you know what? He doesn't seem to punish every time I sin. Oh my Lord, if that happened, I would be dead a long time ago. There's a there's a verse in the Bible, the, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Sometimes bad guys win. <laughs> I'm not calling you guys bad, but what I'm saying is, you know, when we see it, when we see really good behavior, we want to bless it. And we want you kids to obey. We want to see that. Like, we're rooting for you to do that. And we still love you. I gotta say, whether you have, you know, if you have kids or don't have kids, that's fine. But I'll tell you, I didn't fully appreciate or understand God and his love for us until I became a dad. Like, there are layers of love that I just couldn't fathom. And that's not a knock on you, because if you don't want to have kids, trust me, I ain't going to be the guy... No, you gotta give me grandkids. I ain't doing that. You live your lives. I'm gonna say that over and over again on this podcast too. Okay. My hope is that you guys just get along with each other and love Christ. Probably not in that order. Love Christ first. Get along with each other and make a difference in people's lives. Not by what you say, but what you do and how you act. (sighs) All right. Judges chapter 17. There's a man of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, The 1,100 pieces of silver that were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse and also spoke in, in my ears, behold, the silver is with me. I took it. And his mother said, Blessed be my son by the Lord. And he restored the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, I dedicate the silver to the Lord from my hand for my son to make a carved image and a metal image. Now, therefore, I restore it to you. So when he restored the money to his mother, he took... Okay. When he restored the money to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave it to the silversmith, who made it into a carved image and a metal image. And it was in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had a shrine, and he made an ephod and household gods, and ordained one of his sons who became his priest. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now there was a young man of Bethlehem in Judah, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite, and he sojourned there, and the man departed from the town of Bethlehem in Judah to sojourn where he could find a place. And as he journeyed, he came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah. And Micah said to him, Where do you come from? And he said to him, I'm a Levite of Bethlehem in Judah, and I'm going to sojourn where I may find a place. And Micah said to him, Stay with me. And be to me a father and a priest, and I will give you ten pieces of silver a year, uh, and a suit of clothes, and your living. And the Levite went in. And the Levite was content to dwell with the man, and the young man became to him like one of his sons. And Micah ordained the Levite, and the young man became his priest. And he was in his house of Micah. Then Micah said, Now I know that the Lord will prosper me, because I have a, a Levite as a priest. Hmm, got some issues with that. <laughs> Also, the metal image, what was that about? I have to figure out what an ephod is. I'm going I'm to I'm Google it, because they mention it a lot, and I really should know.
What in the world? What is an EHOD? Ephod, <clears throat> part of the ceremonial dress of a high priest of ancient Israel. It was not a garment in the ordinary sense, and its association with the sacred lots indicates that the ephod was used for divination. So, okay, if you've seen Indiana Jones, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, at the end, the evil German guy who's trying to open the ark is wearing an ephod. It's like this article of clothing, almost like a, a long vest. That's what I see it, but it's... it's... Yeah, it's a long vest with gold tassels or something. I don't... Let's see, I don't know. Uh, <clears throat> All right. So, if you want to know what an ephod is, watch Raiders of the Lost Ark. What an amazing theology right there. But it's a reference point, so. All right. Chapter 18. Uh, in those days, there was no king in Israel. And, well, they're really saying there's no king in Israel. Uh, and in those days, the tribe of the people of Dan were seeking for itself an inheritance to dwell in. For unto then, no inheritance among the tribes of Israel had fallen to them. So the people of Dan sent five able men from the whole number of their tribe, from Zorah and from Eshtal, to spy out the land and explore it. And they said to them, Go and explore the land. And they came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah, and lodged there. When they were there by the house of Micah, they recognized the voice of the young Levite. And they turned aside and said to him, <clears throat> Who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? What is your business here? And he said to them, This is how Micah dealt with me. He has hired me, and I have become his priest. And they said to him, Inquire of God, please, that we may know whether the journey on which we are setting out will succeed. And the priest said to them, Go in peace. The journey on which you go is under the eye of the Lord. Then the five men departed and came to Laish, and saw the people who were there, how they lived in security after the manner of the Sidonians. Sidonian, you know what? We had a, oh, let me bookmark that. Uh, quiet and unsuspecting, lacking nothing that is in the earth and possessing wealth and how they were far from the Sidonians and had no dealings with anyone. When they came to their brothers at Zorah and Eshtal, their brothers said to them, What do you report? They said, Arise and let us go up against them, for we have seen the land, and behold, it is very good. And will you do nothing? Do not be slow to go, to enter in and possess the land. As soon as you go, you will come to an unsuspecting people. The land is spacious, for God has given it into your hands. <coughs> a place where there is no lack of anything that is in the earth. So 600 men of the tribe of Dan, armed with weapons of war, set out from Zorah and Eshtal, and went up and encamped at Kiriath-Jerim in Judah. On this account, the place is called Menaha-Dan <coughs> to this day. Behold, it is west of Kiriath-Jerim. And they passed on from there to the hill country of Ephraim, and came to the house of Micah. Then, excuse <coughs> me, the five men who had gone out to scout out the country of Laish said to their brothers, Do you know that in these houses there are an ephod, household gods, a carved image, and a metal image? Now therefore consider what you will do. And they turned aside there and came to the house of the young Levite at the home of Micah and asked him about his welfare. Now the six hundred men of the Danites, armed with their weapons of war, stood by the entrance of the gate. And the five men who had gone to scout out the land 
went up and entered and took the carved image, the ephod, the household gods, and the metal image, while the priest stood by the entrance of the gate with the six hundred men armed with weapons of war. And when these men, and when these went into Micah's house and took the carved image, the ephod, the household gods, and the metal image, the priest said to them, What are you doing? And they said to him, Keep quiet, put your hand on your mouth, and come with us, and be to us uh, a father and a priest. It is better for you to be priest to the house of one man, or is it better to be priest to the house of one man, or to be priest to a tribe and clan in Israel? And the priest's heart was glad. He took the ephod, the house gods, and the carved image, and went along with the people. So they turned and departed, putting the little ones and the livestock and the goods in front of them. When they had gone a distance from the home of Micah, the men who were in the houses near Micah's house were called out, and they overtook the people of Dan. And they shouted to the people of Dan, who turned around and said to Micah, What's the matter with you, that you come with such a company? And he said, You take my gods that I made and the priests, and go away. And what have I left? How then do you ask me, what is the matter with you? And the people of Dan said to him, Do not let your voice be heard among us, lest angry fellows fall upon you, and you lose your life with the lives of your household. Then the people of Dan went their way, and when Micah saw that they were too strong for him, he turned and went back to his home. But the people of Dan took what Micah had made, and the priests who belonged to him, and they came to Laish, to a people quiet and unsuspecting, and struck them with the edge of the sword, and burned the city with fire. And there was no deliverer, because it was far from Sidon, and they had no dealings with anyone. It was in the valley that belongs to the Beth Rehob. Then they rebuilt the city and lived in it, and they named the city Dan, after the name of Dan, their ancestor, who was born to Israel, but the name of the city was Laish at the first. And the people of Dan set up the carved image for themselves, and Jonathan, the son of Gershom, son of Moses, and his sons were priests to the tribe of the Danites until the day of captivity of the land. So they set up Micah's carved image that he made as long as the house of God was at Shiloh. So Moses' grandchildren um, were the priests. Interesting. So Sidonia was actually the name of the massage therapist I had um, on Friday night. It was an amazing, it was, it was an amazing uh, date night. Your mom and I went to get uh, massages. Uh, we went, what did we do? So we had to go there, we had to leave at 4.30. So we made like salami and cheese and we brought some like hot mustard. It's like one of our favorite little snacks because we knew we'd be hungry. Then we went to... Um, this place that has the typical experiences. You spend an hour in the hot tub. It's a private hot tub with open air. So you see like the sky and all that stuff. Um, but there's like high fences so no one can see you. We don't wear anything. It's private. And so it's an hour in the hot tub, then an hour to an hour and a half massage. And then a half hour in the steam room. Or an hour, like depending if there's time. It's like your mom's favorite thing to do. She loves steam rooms. I do not because I'm a little claustrophobic. And uh, anyways, steam room wasn't working, so we got there a little early. We brought a bottle of wine. We had salami and cheese and crackers, and we just had a great time. And we probably we did finish the bottle of wine in that hour. I can report. And uh, then we had a great massage. She her massage therapist was great. Mine was great. I knew I was probably. A little tipsy because I spoke, I talked the entire time. Usually when I'm getting a massage, I don't ever talk. It's just awkward. Someone's touching my arms or back. It's just, 
no, let's make this as superficial and transactional as possible. I talk the whole time. Anyways, Sidonia was the name, and it's great. And now I'm like reading about Sidonians. Um, did I start chapter 19? No, I couldn't have because <clears throat> I'm doing it right here. Yeah. Right. Chapter 19. Again, <laughs> this is great. In those days, when there was no king in Israel, a certain Levite was sojourning in the remote parts of the hill country of Ephraim, who took himself a concubine from Bethlehem and Judah. And his concubine was unfaithful to him, and he went away, and she went away from him to her father's house at Bethlehem and Judah, and was there um, some four months. Then her husband arose and went after her to speak kindly to her and bring her back. He had with him his servant and a couple of donkeys, and she brought him into her father's house. When the girl's father saw him, he came with... I gotta put my, my uh, reading glass on. I'm getting a headache. And when the girl's father saw him, he came with joy to meet him. And his father-in-law, the girl's father, made him stay, and he remained with him three days. So they ate and drank and spent the night there. And on the fourth day, they arose early in the morning, and he prepared to go. But the girl's father said to his son-in-law, Strengthen your heart with a morsel of bread, and after that you may go. So the two of them sat and ate and, ate and drank together, and the girl's father said to the man, Be pleased to spend the night, and let your heart be merry. And when the man rose up to go, his father-in-law pressed him, till he spent the night there again. And on the fifth day he arose early in the morning to depart. And the girl's father said, Strengthen your heart, and wait until the day declines. So they ate, both of them. <clears throat> and when the man and his concubine and his servant arose to depart, his father-in-law, the girl's father, said to him, Behold, now that the day has waned towards evening, please spend the night. Behold, the day draws to its close. Lodge here and let your heart be merry, and tomorrow you shall rise early in the morning for your journey and go home. What is this guy doing? But the man would not spend the night. He rose up and departed and arrived opposite Jebus, that is Jerusalem. And he had with him a couple of saddled donkeys, and his concubine was with him. When they were near Jebus, the day was nearly over, and the servant said to his master, Come now, let us turn aside to the city of the Jebusites and spend the night in it. And his master said to him, We will not turn aside into the city of foreigners, who do not belong to the people of Israel. But we will pass on to Gibeah. And he said to this, his young man, Come and let us draw near to one of the, these places and spend the night at Gibeah or at Ramah. So they passed on and went their way. And the sun went down on them near Gibeah, which belongs to Benjamin. And they turned aside there to go in and spend the night at Gibeah. And he went in and sat down in the open square of the city, for no one took them into the house to spend the night. And behold, the old man was coming from his work in the field, or an old man was coming from his work in the field at evening. The man was from the hill country of Ephraim, and he was sojourning in Gibeah. The men of the place were Benjamites, and he lifted up his eyes and saw the traveler in the open square of the city. <clears throat> and the old man said, Where are you going? Where do you come from? And he said to him, We are passing from Bethlehem in Judah to the remote parts of the hill country of Ephraim, from which I come. I went to Bethlehem in Judah, and I am going to the house of the Lord. But no one is taking me into his house. We have straw and feed for our donkeys, with bread and wine for me and your female servant, and the young man with your servants. There is no lack of anything. And the old man said, Peace be to you. I will care for all your wants. Only do not spend the night in the square. So he brought him into his house and gave the donkeys feed. And they washed their feet and ate and drank. <coughs> As they were making their hearts merry, behold, the men of the city, worthless fellows, surrounded the house, beating on the door. And they said to the old man, the master of the house, Bring out the man who came into your house, that we may know him. 
Okay. That means have sex with him. That we may know him. Okay. That's what that means. Remember when we were reading about um, Sodom and Gomorrah. It's exactly what they're trying to do to the, the angels that showed up. Uh, and the man, the master of the house, went out to them and said to them, <clears throat> No, my brothers, do not act so wickedly, since this man has come into my house. Do not do this vile thing. Behold, here are, here are my virgin daughter and his concubine. Let me bring them out now. Violate them and do with them what seems good to you. But against this man, do not do this outrageous thing. But the man would not listen to him. <clears throat> We've heard the story before. So the man seized his concubine and made her go out to them. And they knew her and abused her all night until the morning. And as the dawn began to break, they let her go. And as morning appeared, the woman came and fell down at the door of the man's house where her master was until it was light. And her master rose up in the morning, and when he opened the doors of the house and went out to go his way, behold, <clears throat> there was his concubine lying at the door of the house with her hands on the threshold. <coughs> he said to her, Get up, let us be going. But there was no answer. Then he put her on the donkey, and the man rose up and went away to his home. And when he entered his house, he took a knife, and taking hold of his concubine, he, oh my God, he, di he divided her limb by limb into twelve pieces and sent her throughout all the territory of Israel. And all who saw it said, Such a thing has never happened or has been seen from the day that the people of Israel came out of the land of Egypt until this day. Consider it, take counsel, and speak. All right. Well, I have to pause. My Lord. Uh, <clears throat> okay, so what I'm reading very, and I probably should read it ahead, what I'm reading here is, because the concubine originally was unfaithful to him and left his company and went back to her father's house, um, <clears throat> that's why he did this. Um, uh, it also shows that homosexual sex was far more severe and outrageous and vile than regular sex, even rape. <clears throat> and women were... Very second-class citizens back then. Um, that poor woman. My Lord, I can't even grasp what she went through. Okay. Chapter 20. Then all the people of Israel came out from Dan to Beersheba, including the land of Gilead. And the congregation assembled as one man to the Lord at Mizpah. And the chiefs of all the people of, the, of all the tribes of Israel presented themselves in the assembly of the people of God. 400,000 men on foot that drew the sword. Now the people of Benjamin heard that the people of Israel had gone up to Mizpah. And the people of Israel said, Tell us how did this evil happen? <clears throat> and the Levite, the husband of the woman who was murdered, answered and said, I came to Gibeah that belongs to Benjamin, 
I and my concubine to spend the night. And the leaders of Gibeah rose up against me, surrounded the house against me by night. They meant to kill me, and they violated my concubine, and she is dead. So I took hold of my concubine, cut her in pieces, and sent her throughout the hill, all the country of the inheritance of Israel. For they have committed abomination and outrage in Israel. Behold, you people of Israel, all of you, give your advice and counsel here. And all the people arose as one man, saying, None of us will go to his tent, and none of us will return to his house. But now this is what we will do to Gibeah. We will go up against it by lot, and we will take ten men of a hundred throughout all the tribes of Israel, and a hundred of a thousand, and a thousand of ten thousand, to bring provisions for the people, that when they come they may repay Gibeah of Benjamin for all the outrage that they have committed in Israel. So all the men of Israel gathered against the city united as one man. And the tribes of Israel sent men throughout all the tribe of Benjamin, saying, What evil is this that has taken place among you? Now therefore give up the men, the worthless fellows in Gibeah, that we may put them to death and purge evil from Israel. But the Benjamites would not listen to the voice of their brothers, the people of Israel. Then the people of Benjamin came together out of the cities to Gibeah to go out to battle against the people of Israel. And the people of Benjamin mustered out of their cities on the day On that day, 26,000 men who drew the sword beside the inhabitants of Gibeah, who mustered 700 chosen men. Among all these were 700 chosen men who were left-handed. Everyone could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. And the men of Israel, apart from Benjamin, mustered 400,000 men who drew the sword. All of these were men of war. Ooh. It reminds me of that scene in 300 where the king... uh, The... uh, Leonidas, um, people like there. There are other people that, like conscripts, that came in and saying, "You only have three hundred people to go against this Persian army. What's wrong with you?" And he asked all these. He asked all these conscripts, "What is your job?" He's like, "Oh, I'm a potter. What is your job?" Um, I'm a blacksmith or whatever it is. And then he turns to the, the just the mere three hundred. He's like, um. And he says, whatever, you know, he's like, what is, what is your job? And it's, and they start chanting war. So men of war. These are men that, these are like the, if I could say it, badasses of Israel. They're already like amazing warriors, but these guys are like the top. It's really cool. Really cool scene there. (laughs) They're um, describing. The people of Israel arose and went up to Bethel and inquired of God, who shall go up first for us to fight against the people of Benjamin? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up first. Then the people of Israel arose in the morning and encamped against Gibeah. And the men of Israel went out to fight against Benjamin. And the men of Israel drew up the battle line against them at Gibeah. Excuse me. The people of Benjamin came out of Gibeah and destroyed uh, on that day 22,000 men of the Israelites. But the people, the men of Israel, took courage and again formed the battle line in the same place where they had formed it on the first day. And the people of Israel went up and wept before the Lord until the evening. And they inquired of the Lord, Shall we again draw near to fight against our brothers, the people of Benjamin? And the Lord said, Go up against them. So the people of Israel came near against the people of Benjamin the second day. And Benjamin went up against the men of Gibeah and destroyed 18,000 men of Israel. All these were men who drew the sword, meaning they knew how to fight. And all the people of Israel, who the whole army went up and came to Bethel and wept. They sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until evening and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, for the Ark of the Covenant of God was there in those days. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, ministered before them in those days. So, wow. 
the grandson of Aaron was still alive. Hmm. Okay. Saying, uh, saying, shall we go out once more to battle against our brothers, the people of Benjamin, or shall we cease? And the Lord said, go up for tomorrow, I will give them into your hand. So Israel set men in ambush around Gibeah, and the people of Israel went up against the people of Benjamin on the third day and set themselves in array against Gibeah as at other times. And the people of Benjamin went out against the people and were drawn away from the city. And as at other times they began to strike and kill, some of which, some of the people in the highways, one of which goes up to Bethel and the other to Gibeah, and in the open country, about 30 men of Israel. And the people of Benjamin said, They are routed before us as at the first. But the people of Israel said, Let us flee and draw them away from the city to the highways. And all the men of Israel rose up out of their place and set themselves in array at Baal Tamar. And the men of Israel, who were in ambush, rushed out to their place from Mar Geba. And they came against Gibeah, 10,000 chosen men out of all Israel. And the battle was hard, but the Benjamites did not know that disaster was close upon them. And the Lord defeated Benjamin before Israel. And the people of Israel destroyed 25,100 men of Benjamin that day. All these were men who drew the sword. So the people of Benjamin saw that they were defeated. The men of Israel gave ground to Benjamin because they trusted the men in ambush whom they had set against Gibeah. Then the men in ambush hurried and hurried against Gibeah. And the men in ambush moved out and struck all the city with the edge of the sword. Now the appointed signal between the men of Israel and the men in the main ambush was that when they made a great cloud of smoke rise up out of the city, the men of Israel should turn in battle. Now Benjamin had begun to strike and kill about 30 men in Israel. They said, surely they are defeated before us, as in the first battle. But when the signal began to rise out of the city in a column of smoke, the Benjamites looked behind them, and behold, the whole of the city went up in smoke to heaven. Then the men of Israel turned, and the men of Benjamin were dismayed, for they saw that disaster was close upon them. Therefore they turned their backs before the men of Israel in the direction of the wilderness, but the battle overtook them, and those who came out of the cities were destroying them in the midst. Surrounding the Benjamites, they pursued them and trod them down from Nohah, as far as opposite Gibeah on the east. Eighteen thousand men of Benjamin fell, all of them men of valor, and they turned and fled toward the wilderness to the rock of Ramon. Five thousand men of them were cut down in the highways, and they were pursued hard to get them, and two thousand men of them were struck down. So all who fell that day of Benjamin were twenty-five thousand men who drew the sword, all of them men of valor. But six hundred men turned and fled toward the wilderness to the rock of Ramon, and remained at the rock of Ramon four months. And the men of Israel turned back against the people of Benjamin, and struck them with the edge of the sword. The city men and beasts, all they, all, and, and all that they found, and all the towns that they found, they set on fire. All this, and, and all the people said was, bring out those, um, what do they call them, worthless fellows. All they, all Gibeah had to do is like, okay, here's like the 10 or 20, you know, people. But no, probably 100,000 Israelites died. <clears throat> Which is bananas. <sighs> so I brewed coffee, and I'm just not drinking it. No, I'm not going to drink it. I'm already... I don't want your mom to smell coffee on my breath. Okay. Interesting. All right. Chapter 21. Now the men of Israel had sworn at Mizpah, No one of us shall give his daughter in marriage to Benjamin. 
And the people came to Bethel and sat there till the evening before God. And they lifted up their voices and wept bitterly. And they said, O Lord, the God of Israel, why has this happened in Israel, that today there should be one tribe lacking in Israel? And the next day the people rose early and built their altar and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And the people of Israel said, Which of all the tribes of Israel did not come up in the assembly of the Lord? For they had taken a great oath concerning him who did not come up to the Lord to Mizpah, saying, He shall surely be put to death. And the people of Israel had compassion for Benjamin, their brother, and said, One tribe is cut off from Israel this day. What shall we do for wives who those... Uh, for those uh, who are left, since we have sworn by the Lord that we will not give them any of our daughters for wives. And they said, What one is there, uh, what one is there of the tribes of Israel that did not come up to the Lord at Mizpah? And behold, no one had come to the camp from Jabesh Gilead to the assembly. <clears throat> for when the people were mustered, behold, not one of the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead was there. So the congregation sent 12,000 of their bravest men there and commanded them, Go and strike the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead with the edge of the sword, also the women and the little ones. This is what you shall do. Every male and every woman that is lain with a male, uh, you shall devote to destruction. And they found among the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead 400 young virgins who had not known a man by lying with him. And they brought them to the camp of Shiloh, which is the land of Canaan. Then the whole congregation sent word to the people of Benjamin, who were at the rock of Ramon, and proclaimed peace to them, and Benjamin returned at that time. And they gave the women whom they had saved alive to the women of Jabesh Gilead, but they were not enough for them. And the people had compassion on Benjamin, because the Lord had made a breach in the tribes of Israel. Then the elders of the congregation said, What shall we do for wives, for those who are left, since the women are destroyed out of Benjamin? And they said, There must be an inheritance for the survivors of Benjamin, that a tribe not be blotted out from Israel. Yet we cannot give them wives from our daughters. For the people of Israel had sworn, Cursed be he who gives a wife to Benjamin. So they said, Behold, there is the yearly feast of the Lord at Shiloh, which is north of Bethel, on the east of the highway that goes up from Bethel to Shechem, and south of Lebanon. And they commanded the people of Benjamin, saying, Go and lie in ambush in the vineyards, and watch. If the daughters of Shiloh come out to dance in the dances, then come out of the vineyards and snatch each man his wife from the daughters of Shiloh. And go to the land of Benjamin, and when their fathers or their brothers come to complain to us, we will say to them, Grant them graciously to us, because we did not take for each man of them his wife in battle. Neither did you give them to, uh, uh, to them, else you would now be guilty. And the people of Benjamin did so, and took their wives according to their number from the dancers whom they carried off. Then they went and returned to their inheritance, and rebuilt the towns and lived in them. And the people of Israel departed from there at the time, every man to his tribe. And the family, <clears throat> every man to his tribe and family. And they went out from there, every man to his inheritance. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And that is Judges. Pretty ruthless. The way they treat women. A lot of questions I have for my friends who are actual theologians. Questions I'm going to ask after this. I think uh, the bottom line is sin has to be rooted out and destroyed. And that's what they were doing. I don't understand why a Levite would have a concubine. You know, the Ten Commandments are pretty clear. I don't understand that. 
I would like to ask questions about that. <sighs> One day I'll find out. Anyways. Oh, I'm exhausted. I'm going to try and go back home and sleep a little bit. We'll probably go to the late service at 11. So we got five hours. I love you very much. Love each other. Love God. Believe. And in everything you do, do it for the kingdom and the king. Drought and storm What heights of love What depths of peace When fears are stilled When striving sings My comforter My all in all Here in the love of Christ I stand Commands my destiny. No. Power.